Welcome to the Dharma Spring. Once, Zhuifeng and Yanto were traveling on Tortoise Mountain when they got snowed in at an inn. Yanto spent the entire time sleeping, while Zhuifeng spent each day sitting in meditation. One day, Zhuifeng called out, Elder brother, elder brother, get up. Yanto asked, what is it? Zhuifeng said, don't be lazy. As pilgrims, profound knowledge is our companion and should accompany us at all times. But all you do is sleep. Yanto yelled back, just eat your fill and sleep. Sitting there in meditation all the time, you're like a clay bodhisattva statue in someone's hut. You're just going to spook the villagers. Zhuifeng pointed to his chest and said, I feel uneasy here, and I'm afraid of cheating myself. Yanto said, I've always said that someday you'll build a cottage on a lonely mountaintop and convey a great teaching, and yet you talk like this? I'm truly anxious. If that's really so, share your understanding with me, and where it's true, I'll confirm it for you, and where it's not, we'll root it out. So Zhuifeng told Yanto of three incidents when he felt he had had an opening, listening to what someone else said. Yanto responded, haven't you heard that what comes in through the front gate isn't the family treasure? Then what should I do? Yanto asked. Or then what should I do? Yanto said, if you want to convey a great teaching, it has to flow out from your own breast to cover heaven and earth. When Zhuifeng heard this, he experienced a profound awakening. He bowed and said, Elder brother, today on Tortoise Mountain, I finally attained the way. Yeah, so a long story with uh, various avenues of departure. As I was sitting in meditation tonight, I was like, oh yeah, there's that one that I'm not even going to hardly talk about tonight, but it could go on for a very long exploration, it seems. But um. Mainly, I'm just doing what I do all the time is, well, this is what arose for me in the places that, that it touched into my life and experience, which is just going to be a few stories and a dream to tell. And we'll see if they all make it in. Um, you know, sometimes things that want to come don't end up making it into the, the talk, but we'll journey along and see, you know, what comes from within the family gate, not from outside, yeah. <laughs> the main thing that, like the, the general thing that occurred to me is, it's these ideas of what practice is that is being explored here. My idea, what I should be doing, what it's supposed to look like, whether it's based on my own experience or what I've read or heard from others. And a lot of time, it seems the gateway into such a practice as this is hearing stuff from others and then trying it out for ourselves to discover what it is for ourselves. Although we could have an entrance into it just sitting down and being still and noticing. Um, it might be a nice start. No other ideas to, to interfere with what I should be doing. But anyway, looking at my own experience, just in this first um, 
Zhui Feng in the first part being so adamant about we're pilgrims of the way, we're practicing, we must be sitting, and there's this profound knowledge to be touching into. And so don't be lazy, be alert at all times. And it reminded me of when I began my practice, I don't think I had that strong of a spirit, but I was more in that line of things. And that was based off of a lot of things I'd read before I came to the community and started working with teachers and things like that. And it was emphasized when I did come to the community um, emphasized or, or supported that, those ideas, not verbatim, but I wasn't discouraged from thinking I must really try hard and you know, devote myself sincerely at all times to this practice when sitting, and maybe even when not sitting. But I just remember those early days really kind of intensely sitting. <laughs> and the one, well, two particular memories came up, but one in particular first was how I would be counting my breath and was really wanting to be curious how quiet could I allow my mind to be or keep my mind really. So I'd breathe in and out and if a single thought popped up, I wouldn't count it. I wouldn't count that breath. And so I got to two or three, maybe. <laughs> Mainly, I maybe got to one and then tried again. And I thought, oh, I got to one. It's like, damn it, there's a thought. And so I started over. But I was really, I mean, it, it was kind of uh, intense, but also very playful. I was enjoying it. So that was one thing I noticed. It wasn't, I wasn't beating myself up because I had those thoughts. It was just kind of, wow, amazing. How for such a brief moment, my mind cannot completely stay quiet. And sometimes it could, yeah. And a lot of times, I think it just happened of its own accord. Maybe it was playing along with my playing with it, yeah. But that kind of a um, little bit more intense practice was in the earlier years of my sitting as I began to follow this way and discover what meditation was. Then the other thing, it was also in the early years, the other memory that came to mind was visiting another group in town with um, somebody who had been part of the Springs Mountain Sangha, before it was called Springs Mountain Sangha, longer story there, but had an offshoot group, and I would join them occasionally. And one time, the person commented when we got to our discussion, talked about the importance of sitting very still, you know, that the Zen, the Zen teaching, be very still, don't move at all. And then he said, Andrew, look at him, he sits like a mountain. And I was like, I do? <laughs> Um, and that was another one of those things. I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't have this idea of I'm sitting like a mountain, but I noticed I had this idea of I'm going to sit very still and upright because that's what the teachings say in the books and what I'm hearing from others. And um, so it, it was kind of nice to have somebody recognize that and put words to it. And hearing that, I could settle more deeply into my sitting like a mountain and feel, oh yeah, this is kind of solid and grounded and... Um, I enjoyed that too. It wasn't a heavy thing and it wasn't a uh, look at me, look at me. It was just, oh, so that's what this is, this feeling, and this connection with my practice. So that went on, you know, for some time in various fashions, uh, still exploring, still playing, but more on that serious feng side of things from our story. Then there was, you know, a few years into practice, 
no, three, four, maybe five. I don't, I'm not sure exactly. There was a time where John Tarrant came out to Colorado to speak up at the Naropa Institute or Naropa University. Um, they had these weekend programs where somebody would give an evening talk and then they'd host activities throughout the weekend. So a few of us journeyed up there just to go to the evening talk and got to the room. I think there were some cushions, but there were a lot of chairs too. So people were sitting in various ways. And at some point during the, an introduction or after he'd spoken for a while, John said, well, let's meditate for a bit. So there was this adjustment stuff going on. He goes, wait a minute, stop. He goes, you notice how, how you do that? How when you're told let's meditate, there's this idea of what it looks like. And he says, why don't you try just doing it exactly like you were sitting without an idea of what you should be doing? And that was interesting, you know, because I had that mindset of, oh, I'm going to meditate. Got to get the mountain going. And instead, I was in a chair at the time. And it was a nice welcome relief to say, just don't move at all. Stay exactly like you were and just enter into meditation. Yeah. Um, in a Sekuyas and Gates from Joan Sutherland, we have in the, in the second gate, there's a list of all these different koans. And one of them is, I guess we'll call it a koan because it's in there, but it's from John Tarrant in this spirit. It just says, quick, don't get ready. <laughs> and I love that. So that's this, if you encounter that in, in that book, Sekuyas and Gates, that's where it comes from. Quick, don't get ready. Just as you are, sit in meditation. So that introduced a whole new way to engage with my meditation, just more casually, not, not like a mountain, yeah? And so I played with that for a while too, in uh, still sitting on the cushion, showing up and being there intentionally, but letting myself flop more than be held up with that straight spine and all of that. And that was fun to play with and notice how the habit of, oh, I, I got stiff again, Oh, let me just breathe into my body and loosen my shoulders and I'll relax. And it was nice to have that introduced because then I had these options to choose from over time. Instead of being like, here's the way to do it and I must make a choice. There was like, oh, there's a spectrum. There's this range of options. I can sit like, like a mountain or I can just flop as I am and see what it's like to do that. And I think over the years, I've tended to be more of just flopping. <laughs> and I've also noticed instead of having an intention when I was settling into meditation, it's now more that, I, that I'm sitting and then I pay attention to, oh, I wonder what I'm sitting like. Is it like a mountain or am I flopped? So I don't even start out with the idea of how I should be sitting, how I should be meditating. I just let it happen. Then I notice what it is midway through. And it, yeah, it does tend to be the more my head might lean, I might be leaning. Um, it's a different kind of mountain, not the upright stiff one. Yeah. Um, but it also, you know, playing with these were external instructions I'd gotten, again, from books and from other people. But over time, by playing with them, they became my own. So I wasn't doing this because so-and-so said, you know, and this is kind of explored in the story of when Joy Fung shares these things about what others have said and that encouragement of let it come forth from your own, from within your own breast, from within your own spirit. 
Um, that's why I noticed it started out as external, but over time became internal. Or maybe I just am not able to tell the difference between the external and internal in those regards anymore. <clears throat> and that's the tangent that I'm not going to go off on because <laughs> there's a whole thing of, over there. And this is just the, the little, maybe we'll get back to it at some other point in time. But this whole practice beginning says you have what you need already. It's fully within you. In, in a way implies you don't need to do all these extra practices to get something else. You already have it. But the paradox, the conundrum and all that is you usually don't realize it until you do practice. <laughs> and then quite, I mean, it's pretty regular that when people do connect with it, they do discover, oh, it's been here all along. So the question is, did you need the practice to help you know that or not? And you can't, you know, that's the tangent I'm not going on. Um, necessarily may touch into it a little bit later on i'm going to drift into a, a different kind of story now this is um you know years of going by with these two modes that served as the options in which you know i could find myself meditating happening of itself it was good to notice well sometimes if i found myself stiff or stressed out or something, I had that, oh, I can reach for the relaxation, the just, ah, being here. And other times if I felt I needed a little bit more encouragement and a little more um, support, I knew I had the option and the access to ah, taking that breath, sitting up straight and, and doing that and noticing how it affected the quality of my practice. And um, it was good to be able to reach for those. And for the most part, I don't think I had either going on. There was some combination of both or I think mostly I wasn't even really paying attention <laughs> I was just sitting not trying to categorize the type of sitting that it was but again good to have those to reach for when I recognized something different needs to happen might need to happen and that brings me to just a couple months ago I was in one of those places where I felt my practice had been a little bit adrift and not as grounded and, you know, being in this lockdown, the pandemic and meeting on Zoom and not having the sitting together in person like we have had for many years prior to then. I was just thinking, yeah, something's lacking because of that. And I need to reconnect with that other side of that, that kind of practice. Because when we get together in person and here on Zoom too, to agree, but really in person, you know how there's that energy exchange and we support one another and it kind of lifts you up and keeps you going. I think that's what I thought was missing, could feel was missing. And so I thought maybe it's time to really engage in some more routine and regular sitting, not like a mountain, but in that spirit again, you know, let me come up with a schedule or something that will reconnect me with it. And it turned out right around that time, the PZI, the Pacific Zen Institute people were prepping for a retreat that was coming up in a few weeks by beginning with morning meditations for several weeks beforehand. And they had two different times, one on the West Coast, one on the East Coast to have these windows of opportunity for people to be able to join in. And I thought, oh, perfect. That's exactly what I need. There's somebody else already holding the structure for me. And it's a place where I can just 
engage in and go deeply again and hold on to it and maybe find that that rootedness in that intentional upright intense kind of way not in, not intense in the sitting but maybe the schedule being there is like holding me with intention so i looked at the times of the schedule <laughs> and realized one of them it overlapped my other stuff and i couldn't do it and then the other one i could do but i had to wake up early <laughs> and i was like well that might be the intensity i need to push myself to wake up at to start at 5 30 in the morning you know before i get going here then i was like i don't want to do that <laughs> and and so that clarified the whole matter for me when i looked at it and said oh here's the opportunity and i could engage in this way and i was like but i'd really i don't want to do that and somehow that was exactly what was needed was to just connect with the possibilities and realize i didn't need to impose that upon myself i had this idea I had these two ideas. One, that, oh, something's missing in my practice because it feels this way. It feels adrift. And the other idea, it should be something else. And it should, I, I need that intensity to revitalize my practice. But what I discovered in looking at the email and the schedules is that I was dealing with those ideas. And then again, trying to them, impose them upon me. But when I came to the live fact of, I don't want to get up that early, I was with what was actually alive. That was what my practice was right then and there. And whatever had been a problem before was no longer a problem. Yeah. So instead of being in idea land or should land, I just came to, oh, well, here's what's alive. I don't really want to do that. And somehow everything, like I said, just was settled. Ah, it's all good. <laughs> I don't know if my practice changed at all, but I didn't feel adrift. I felt directly connected to it again, yeah? Without having to do anything other than to explore options and just keep doing as I had been doing. I still have yet to join any of those meditations. <laughs> They're still going on, yeah? So that was nice to see that. And um, to land me in the place of where I was already versus trying to get myself to another place, yeah? because I thought I needed to get to some other place. So good to have those ideas taken away from me. So this, you know, all this is in the realm of um, up to the point in the story where he says, haven't you heard that what comes in through the gate, through the front gate, isn't the family treasure? But again, that's a, that's a tangent to go explore some other time. What is this front gate? And is it fixed in place? And do I hold it tightly and just insist on what's on this side of it is all I need? Or do I work over time to expand the gate, make it wider, put it out even further so that there's more and more within the family gate, you know, the family treasure, I should say. There's more and more on this side of the gate because I've moved it miles and miles from where it used to be, maybe, yeah. Again, a tangent. I'm not gonna go there completely, but I'm gonna plant those seeds and um, see what comes of that, maybe some other time. But go to the next part of the koan where Yanto telling him, haven't you heard that your family treasure doesn't come from outside? 
Zhui Feng's, what should I do? And just being told, if you want to convey a great teaching, it has to flow out from your own breast to cover heaven and earth. After having all those stories about what others thought and what others, you know, even though Zhui Feng had openings and those are beneficial things, Yanto saying it's not quite the same as letting it come forth from within you. And um, that, it, that whole idea of outside and inside brought forth a dream that I had not too long ago that um, in a way it connects to how I internalize whatever was external, you know, by making it my own. But I'm just going to tell you this dream and I'll try to make that connection here because it has to do with, well, I think in the dream, I ended up connecting with that which was coming from within me. Um, in the dream, I had been away from home for a little while, I think staying with people. And the people I was staying with, it's like it was a mixture of Sangha and family members, like extended family members, but not actual mixture of them. It's like one person wasn't anybody I recognized, but they had within them both a feeling of I'm your extended family and I'm your Sangha mates. So it was, um, yeah, just people that I didn't necessarily know, but they had that spirit and that quality about them. So I've been staying as a guest with them for a little while. And I'd driven there in my own car and parked it and left it parked there the whole time, undriven. So, um, yeah, just sitting out wherever it was, sitting out there. And the car itself was a combination of cars from my past, like my in the first few cars that I owned or, yeah, owned and borrowed in my early years of driving. It was like those older cars had come into one car and it, it represented all that kind of stuff. So it was the day that I was going to be leaving and people knowing that the car hadn't been started up in quite a while. A couple of them came to me and said, well, can we go start your car and let it warm up so it's ready for you and you can just load up and go? I said, oh, sure, that'd be great. So they went and tried to start it and they came back. They said, this, it won't start. There's something wrong with it. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think, you know, they said the battery, no, I was thinking the battery could be dead. And they said, I think there's something more going on with it. We're not sure. So I said, well, let's go, let's go out together. So we went out to the car and I went into the passenger seat. So the other person that was helping could show me what they were doing to try to start it. And so we sat in there and they turned the key and it just went. And they go, see, that's what I'm talking about. So I nod my head like, yeah, yeah, I see. But I was curious about it because I wasn't really sure that this was a problem. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, well, at least it's not a dead battery because it has enough juice to go tick, 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 tick. <laughs> but part of me was wondering, it's like, yeah, it sounds like an issue, but I'm not really sure that this is a problem. And so we stepped out of the car, we left it. And a few minutes later, this was the interesting part. I was back kind of putting my stuff, self, my stuff together, packing it. And then I went back out to the car, but it was almost like I split. So one of the, a part of me was still just packing and another part of me left to go out to try the car myself. And the feeling was, well, they don't know my car. And that's why it didn't seem like a problem to me. That seemed like maybe par for the course, that tick, 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 tick. 
So there, there's that part of me going out to start the car and the part of me inside the house listening to me trying to start the car. <laughs> and I heard, you know, the tick, 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 tick. And I, and the other person had turned it off just after like five or six ticks, but I just let it keep tick, 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 ticking. Then I pumped the gas a couple of times and it goes, and soon it was up and running. And it was like, yeah, they, they just didn't know my car. <laughs> and I, I know my car. It's like, I know myself. I know what it is to embody and inhabit that car. And so I was happy to have it running, but I didn't go around saying, hey, this is what it was. I just went back to packing up and getting ready to leave. So I didn't even make a big deal about it. I was just happy, oh, the car is running. But I noticed, you know, the, the inside and outside was, if somebody else looks at my car, or looks at me, and it's like, ooh, there's something wrong here. There can be times where I internalize that and say, oh yeah, there's something dreadfully wrong here. And I take it from their perspective. And then what, what should I do? And, you know, in this case, I could have asked that and gone to the auto pot store or a mechanic and been taken for a lot of money. You know, you can be swindled that way sometimes. But outside of this metaphor with the car, it's like in my life, I can do that. You know, people can say, oh, I, or I can perceive them saying, well, there's something wrong with how you're doing things or with how you are. And I can lean in that direction outside the gate yeah and get really caught up with that and wonder what should i do how should i fix it and all of that but i can also lean into my car into myself lean on this side of the gate not let you know not just dismiss what they're saying but also not let it completely throw me off off kilter off base yeah and just lean into let me try to start it as I know it and see if it runs, see if there is a problem here or not. And more often than not, I find, oh, there's really not a problem with the workings of my car, or workings of myself. But when I'm viewing myself from an outside perspective, yeah, that I've internalized, or even when it is an outside perspective and I join that side, I don't see the family treasure of me. I don't connect with the rumbling runnings of my car, but when I'm able to just trust in my mechanics, <laughs> my mechanisms that I know how I run, even though sometimes it may not start and may not get me on the road, there's still something about trusting that and being with you know, the side of me rather than the side of the other. And sometimes that other is me judging me. Yeah. So anyway, I'm not sure how clear that's coming across. In the dream, it was kind of really sweet, actually, to be in a place of, oh, something is wrong with my car, then going, oh, no, they just don't know my car, but how could they? <laughs> it's, it's here. It's the family treasure on this side that nobody else can really know. Fortunately, I'm in touch with it, yeah. All right, so another, the last thing I'm going to bring in, maybe, I'll see how much of it I'm going to bring in. And again, just kind of jumping through, there's this lot of koan territory here. Um, the, it's the other side, it's the, other, it's the end of that phrase. You know, if you want to convey a great teaching, it has to flow out from your own breast to cover heaven and earth. So I was curious about that, covering heaven and earth. Wow, that sounds like I have to whoosh, really put it out there, right? So it's, 
almost seems like it's not good enough just to have it here. It must flow out and get to that place of far-reaching, vast, broad, deep. So that brought to mind another story, which is not mine. It's from a movie that um, there's a spoiler alert coming, but it's a movie called The Cup, uh, Tibetan monks trying to figure out how to watch the World Cup. <laughs> but there's this other thing that happens throughout the movie that's koan-like. There's this, um, this teacher, and this is the short version, and here's the spoiler. It's a spoiler alert. But somebody brings up at some point how they walk around barefoot and there's sharp rocks and things to worry about. And they said, so what can we do about that? And the abbot says, well, cover the earth with leather so it's soft wherever you go. And it's kind of like a koan. It, it's, it's a koan and a riddle throughout the movie. How do you cover the earth with leather so that it's soft wherever you go? And this brief version here says, um, the abbot says, can we cover the earth in leather so it's soft wherever we go? And the cook monk says, no. And the abbot says, so what can we do? And then this other monk, who's kind of been this character who's been sleepy and <laughs> kind of like Yanto, sleepy and doesn't seem to be paying attention and stuff. He responds almost immediately, wear leather sandals. And the abbot says, yes, if you wear leather sandals, then wherever you go, it's covered in leather and the earth is soft. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not actually about covering the earth, but to recognize if I have leather sandals on, wherever I go on the earth, it is covered in leather and it's soft. So I thought about that thing with letting what comes forth from within my own breast cover heaven and earth. It's like whenever I do that, wherever I am, it's here, it's reaching this area. So covering the experience that I'm having now. And if I do it again and again, in every place that I go, it's like wearing those leather sandals. It's like all the time I'm letting it come forth. And as I'm journeying, wherever I'm journeying, I'm covering the land, covering my environment with that which is coming out of my, my breast of its own. And it is flowing around all of the earth, just in little moments here and there, again and again and again, yeah? So nice to be relieved of the, of the task of thinking I have to really let, let it out there. It's like, it's like that quick, don't get ready. <laughs> I can just relax, let it flow as it is here and trust that it's far reaching enough in this moment and I can trust and lean into that again and again. And in the course of a lifetime, cover all of heaven and earth with what's coming forth from here within me. Yeah. My family treasure. And the last thing that occurred to me with that is, and this goes into that tangent land, which we're not exploring, but the moving of the gate and not being sure what is inside or outside. <clears throat> I noticed that when I come forward in such a way and just let what flows from me flow out, it seems equally that which is flowing forth from heaven and earth around me, from other people and from creatures, two-leggeds, four-leggeds and wingeds and trees and, you know, all of heaven and earth are equally flowing back into me, expressing their family treasure. And then it blends with mine and helps mine come out again. Yeah. So then that begins that whole, well, what's the inside and outside of me and all that's around me? 
what's external, what's internalized. And are those just divisions that I make? You know, the should haves and the ideas in my mind that divide things up. It just it's really interesting to notice that. Not only do I am I relieved of the pressure of having to say something definitively that really pushes it out there. I also have the support and encouragement of all of existence because it flows back in and says, another please, and invites me to come forth. Yeah. And so we dance along like that. Yeah. Anyway, I liked that. And I'm going to keep exploring that. Because that brings up the question, well, what, how, how large and cavernous is my own breast? And that, that comes from within it. Is it localized here in me? Or am I just a place through which it flows and it comes from you know, the far reaches of the universe and right here? Thank you for listening. For more about Andrew Palmer and his teachings, please visit bowandroar.com and look for him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.